Um, my name is Travis Janeway. My wife, Carissa, and I have been attending the bridge uh, kind of since we were meeting in Sanj and Sarah's house. So cool to hear that they're still uh, hosting, extending their hospitality. Um, and we've got two little girls. We've got a 20-month-old and a 7-month-old. And we've been kidless for about 18 hours. It's been nice. We did a little house swap. Uh, with a uh, couple that uh, we really enjoy who have discipled Carissa and I uh, for the last few years. And uh, they stayed at our house, and we went to their house, and the kids stayed with them. So it was really, really cool. Um, so sorry if you're missing our daughters this morning. I know some of you guys, that's what you look forward to on Sundays. Yeah, but we're good. So just deal with that. Uh, we're going to talk about encouragement today. And reason being, this is just kind of a standalone sermon today, uh, standalone teaching. We're going to start Advent next week, um, and then, which is a great season, so uh, we'll, I'll add a couple teasers in, so hopefully you guys will join us for this awesome season um, leading up to the birth of Christ and what we celebrate Christmas for. But today we're going to talk about encouragement. It's something that I've been personally convicted by, which is why we're, uh, I decided it'd be good to talk about today. Something that I'm walking through, wrestling with, and uh, in our home, at work, uh, it is important to us as those who call upon Christ as Lord and Savior to understand encouragement and how powerful it is. Uh, with that, with encouragement, there is also a potential for and probably just some real life application uh, that kind of goes alongside encouragement many times is conflict. Okay, So we're going to talk mostly about encouragement a little bit about conflict today. But first to start, let's go ahead and define, just so we're clear, what kind of encouragement I am talking about today. Uh, this is not pom-poms, rah-rah, go team encouragement, okay? This is real life-on-life, life, one person walking aside another person when stuff gets hard, when things are great, life-on-life life encouragement. That's what we're talking about today especially for us believers in Christ, those who uh, declare that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. We make up the body of Christ. It is especially important for us to encourage one another, spur each other on to be more Christ-like and to live lives on mission. Um, we see acts of encouragement in a few different lenses, just to kind of focus us in on our text today. We see encouragement in a few different acts. The first is grace, okay, when you extend grace to somebody. Uh, mercy, when you extend mercy to somebody. And love. Encouragement is really a manif manifestation of love. Specifically to our text today, and we are going to be in Acts, and we'll get there in just a second. But we're going to see a friendship in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, as the early church is growing, we're going to see a friendship between two people, and we're going to see how encouragement is manifest in interceding for someone else, intercession, basically stepping up for somebody, uh, speaking up for them, in helps and service, so how we can encourage other people in our acts and helping them along with something or serving them in some way. And then finally, uh, in friendship. Encouragement, if you truly encourage somebody, you will, by default, deepen that friendship that you have with them. 
Okay? It's a part of deepening friendship. It's a part of discipleship to encourage one another. One of the tough things about encouragement, which we're going to see manifest in this text, is that sometimes the fruit of encouragement or the outcomes, the, the tangible positives that come out of it, can be somewhat delayed. You're not always going to get a bunch of positive feedback when you take the risk to encourage somebody. You may have to wait to see things come to fruition. Uh, kind of wait till the excitement's gone and then, oh, hey, all of a sudden, it looks like that person has uh, taken the encouragement I gave them and now they're just doing awesome. It also happens in unlikely ways. And the reason that encouragement pops up and the fruit of encouragement pops up later down the road is because it's probably uh, many times going to happen in unlikely ways, which means that I know that God is using encouragement. Because a lot of times God uses what we offer for something different than what we intend. That's because He is who He is. And um, we tend to kind of encourage or want things in our own way. God operates on a different level. He's much bigger and much uh, stronger than we are. And then finally, just to reiterate that encouragement will deepen friendships. We're going to look at a, a friendship that forms in the New Testament in the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts 9, verse 26 through 31. But before we start reading, I want to introduce you to a guy named Paul, just in case you are unfamiliar with him. Paul is a very important uh, person in the history of the early church. Here's some background on Paul, just in case you're not familiar with who he is. Uh, Paul was previously named Saul. And as the guy Saul, his job, basically, was to persecute Christians. He sought them out after Christ died and his disciples were left, and they were given the great commission to go make disciples of all nations, Paul, or Saul, went out around the Mediterranean looking for Christians, imprisoning them, or even worse, seeing that they'd be put to death. Paul probably oversaw the stoning of Stephen, which you can find in the book of Acts. Um, and on his journey to Damascus, to find some more Christians to imprison, he was confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he was dramatically uh, converted. He was blinded. He was knocked off his horse. And he was sent in uh, to Damascus. Uh, a fellow found him, helped him out, basically helped him see that Christ is, in fact, Lord and Savior. So Paul accepts that. Then he goes out and starts preaching the gospel in Damascus. Shortly after that, he is going to Jerusalem to basically meet with the leaders of the then very young Christian church. And that is where we pick up in Acts 9, verse 26 through 31. Saul, which again is Paul, same, same person. Saul in Jerusalem, verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem... He attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of them, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. So again, Paul has been uh, 
transformed, his life's transformed, he's accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, but all these guys know about him is that he persecuted Christians and, and uh, killed them. That's all they know, so they're scared. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, this is talking about Paul, who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in among them, among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, uh, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Who is Barnabas? Where does this guy come from? Well, Barnabas is Paul's friend. Okay? This is the very start of an intense and awesome friendship. Barnabas literally translates to son of encouragement. Okay? So guess what? Barnabas had a previous name too. Okay? But we know him as the son of encouragement. Barnabas. It was his nickname. He's our guy today. All right? He's the encourager. He's who we're going to look at. And we see this first act of encouragement towards his soon-to-be best friend, Paul, to intercede for Paul in front of the Christian leadership. Basically says, hey, look, I saw this guy. I know you guys are scared of him. You're questioning him. But I know he's a Christian. And he's already been in Damascus. He's been preaching the gospel. He sticks up for Paul. Takes a chance on Paul. And we see this crazy fruit of this little act of interceding for somebody else in, the, uh, in Acts chapters 13 through 15. I'm going to list them off, okay? I mean, this is awesome, epic missionary journeys these two guys take just from this little act of encouraging someone else. First, they go to Cyprus. They rebuke an evil sorcerer. They speak and preach uh, in the Jewish synagogues, and they are persecuted and chased out. They go to Iconium. They preach the gospel, and they're chased out of there too. They go to Lystra. They heal a cripple. Uh, they're mistaken for Greek gods. You guys ever seen the road to El Dorado or whatever that Disney movie is, right? Okay? You get mistaken as gods. Like, you got it made, right? But instead, these... These guys, Paul and Barnabas, they realize how bad it is to be proclaimed a false god that they rip their clothes off and they start just professing Christ as Lord. Same town, Paul gets stoned, left for dead, but he survives and with the help of the disciples. He's uh, rescued and taken out of the city. They go to the three more cities preach the gospel, get chased out. I mean, just epic adventures together. And in Antioch, they're instrumental together in basically this humongous debate, this humongous conflict on the role of circumcision in the early church. Some people wanted to teach that you had to be circumcised to be saved. You had to be circumcised to be saved, like believing in Jesus wasn't enough. Okay? They were teaching this. And Paul and Barnabas said, no way, this, this can't be right. So they do as much as they can. They go back to Jerusalem. 
they get back with the leaders of the early church, say, we've got to make a stand on this. We've got to uh, stand up for what we know that Christ alone um, saves. You don't need to be circumcised. And they go back to Antioch to deliver uh, this doctrine. And if you're wondering, as I was when I was reading this, I'm like, how are these guys, how are Paul and Barnabas, well, Paul's pretty famous, but how is like Barnabas not talked about more? I mean, this guy was instrumental with Paul side by side, Sorry, I'm a strength coach, okay? So I get a little hyped up. And this is what you call kicking butt and taking names, okay? They are on mission for the gospel, and they are taking ground for the kingdom of God. These adventures are amazing. And these deeds and these acts, all from a little bit of encouragement. I want to go back to a second where I told you that Paul and Barnabas were uh, mistaken for Greek gods, right? All the townspeople saw them heal this crippled man and they basically made them deities right there on the spot, okay? Paul and Barnabas did not accept that and ended up being the whole reason that Paul gets stoned. And just so you know, like, I don't think we do a good job of really uh, depicting what stoning is, but when someone was stoned, it was not so that they would get beat up and bruised badly. I mean, the intent was to end someone's life by stoning. Okay, but Paul survives. And it would be easy for Paul and Barnabas to get all this credit, right? They're the ones that are mentioned here, and they're doing all this awesome stuff. But even they know, as we see when they were made deities, and they refused to have that... Uh, tagged to them, we see that they are giving all the credit to God. So even in this friendship, they're achieving all these things. It's important to realize that God is in it. God is central. We see it in how Paul was converted, and how he became a Christian. God was in that. How Paul and Barnabas met, God was in that. Courage for Barnabas to advocate for Paul. Paul the Christian killer. That's how all these church leaders in Jerusalem knew Paul. And all the acts were for God's glory. It's important that I note that just because we're going to, as we talk more today, we're going to talk a lot about kind of like person-to-person interactions. But know that in all that, God is in it and He uses it. Don't we, don't we long for the adventures that Paul and Barnabas had? Like, don't we need some excitement in our lives? Get up, go to work every day, get in the car, drive an hour, listen to the radio. Like, don't we want that? Don't we want that, that adventure that they went on? How awesome is this stuff? As Paul and Barnabas are riding high, they are about to hit some heavy traffic in their friendship. And I think it shows us a good example of how real life is full of ups and downs. There are beautiful times of encouragement, achievement, um, experiencing God, and there's also some down moments. And in Acts 15 verses 36 through 41, we get to see that Paul and Barnabas have to deal with some conflict 
as well. And I think it's fair that we look at this. If I just wanted to, this uh, talk to be about encouragement, we would have just ended it a couple minutes ago. And how awesome are Paul and Barnabas encouraging each other and getting all this stuff done, right? But real life is a little different. Before we look at, uh, let's go, actually, let's go ahead and look at the text. Acts 15, verses 30, 36 through 41. I won't leave you hanging any longer. Paul and Barnabas separate. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. Everybody's got two names. But Paul thought best not to take with him with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Before we go back to Paul and Barnabas and whether or not this is a good thing or a bad thing or how God used it, let's go ahead and recognize some things that we know to be true about conflict. Okay? First, conflict can be iron sharpening iron. Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. You guys ever seen iron sharpened? Friction, sparks, okay? There can be conflict in a relationship where iron is sharpening iron as one man sharpens another. We know that to be true about conflict. Um, in other words, there can be growth from conflict. It's not the end of everything. Uh, always, conflict is always within the knowledge of God. That's the second thing we know about conflict. It is always within the knowledge of God. God is sovereign. He's omnipotent. There is no conflict that you go through that is outside of His knowledge. Okay? Nothing happens apart from Him. Let's go ahead and look at 1 Peter 5. I know I don't, I know I don't have a slide for this. For Just give me a second so I can flip to it. And you can flip with me if you want. It's going to be 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Peter writes, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Here we go. Here we're talking about conflict. Verse 7. Cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Anything you're going through, whatever it is, big, small, big conflict, little conflict, God knows about it and you can cast your anxieties on Him. I love this verse for how it starts, or these two verses for how it starts. Humble yourselves, therefore. We do a pretty good job, I think, as humans. I can't speak for everybody, but I, I, I do this. And I think if I do it, probably more people do it too. But we make our problems bigger 
than God, right? And this opening of verse 6, humble yourselves therefore, really puts you and your problems back in the size where they're manageable. God can handle it. Cast all your anxieties on Him. Receive that from Him. Receive it as encouragement that your problems are not too big for God. Okay, third thing we know about conflict is that it is always comes to resolution or to an end. Conflict always comes to resolution or an end. That may be hard to believe, especially if you're in the midst of a conflict. Okay, It is not always easy to see how it's going to end because we may not know how it's going to end. But no matter what you see on the news, okay, wherever you search or spend your time at your desk online uh, when you're not actually working, wherever you go, I promise you that conflict does end. It may not come to a nice resolution with a bow on top. There's conflicts that we're dealing with, and I'm talking about you know, world events, current events, where it seems like there is no end in sight, but they will come to an end. They will be resolved. We know that is true about conflict. Later, in uh, in the New Testament, 2 Timothy 4.11, we actually see where Paul resolved whatever problem he had with Mark, which was the guy Barnabas chose uh, to go to Cyprus. Okay, There is resolution and conflict, even in this conflict that we've highlighted today in the text. Uh, because of all the above, because we know that conflict is iron sharpening iron, that it's always within the knowledge of God, and that it will come to a resolution or an end, because of all that, we know that there are positive outcomes to conflict. If we flip back to Acts 15, the last verse, verse 41, should encourage us and show us that even positive things can come out of conflict. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Despite these great friends getting to a point where they couldn't agree, God still worked. He's bigger than the conflict. He still worked and the church still spread even though these two guys ended up not being able to see eye to eye. We, we can look at this text, right? 2,000 years back or however long exactly it was. We can look back and be like, yeah, that's nice. Okay, I get it. But what about now? Like, how does this apply to us now? Um, what conflicts are we in? We just came out of one. It was doctored up conflict. It was people getting paid to create conflict between two other people. Yes, I'm talking about the presidential campaign, the most recent one, okay? It was all doctored up, conflict on top of conflict on top of conflict, okay? And regardless of how you voted or where it ended up or whatever, man, that was ugly, wasn't it? I mean, it was just, it was bad. It was people at each other's throats, I mean, that was real conflict. 
And it's when we were right in the midst of it, even as viewers on television or conversations at the water cooler or whatever it was. Let me give you a story about how a positive can come out of even something as crazy as all that that we just witnessed uh, less than a month ago. You guys may not know um, a gentleman named Ernie Johnson, but he is the host of a NBA uh, TV show on TNT. Um, any any Rockets fans in here? Okay. Whenever they we got we got a couple Rockets fans. All right. Uh, so you guys know who Charles Barkley is? Okay. All right. So Ernie Johnson's job is basically to make sure Charles Barkley doesn't say anything too offensive or silly. Okay. He's the mediator. All right. They're all in, at the table and they're talking about stuff and. Uh, Ernie Johnson keeps people on track, okay? Uh, within days after the election, uh, I don't know when exactly happened. I didn't see it live. I just saw it on YouTube. He had the mic, and he was talking about the election and the results. And he makes this statement about, well, we shouldn't, you know, we're not supposed to talk about politics, but while we're talking about politics, we might as well talk about religion too. And I'm going to summarize and paraphrase, but he basically says, I believe in a guy named Jesus. And what Jesus tells me to do is to pray for people. So I'm going to pray for Donald Trump. I'm going to pray for him. You may not like him, maybe you do, but I'm going to pray for him. Because Christ is sitting on the throne, and that's who I serve. I'm like, whoa. This guy, cable television, I don't know how good their ratings are, I don't know how many people are watching, but takes the time where he shouldn't be talking about his faith, and he does. And he wouldn't have talked about it if the election hadn't been so nuts. It would have been a mute point, like, it doesn't matter. He was able to take, or at least what I saw, something that was conflict and make it a positive. And for me, as a Christian, man, that encouraged me big time. And it refocused me on what was important and who I serve and who's my king. Christ's on the throne. Let me give you some closing statements on encouragement. First is be encouraged. Be encouraged in the littlest things like some guy hosting an NBA TV show that I watch, you know, you get a clip on YouTube. Be encouraged by the littlest things. As the body of Christ, as the church, I mentioned this at the beginning, it is our mission to encourage each other because encouragement is a manifestation of love, and we are definitely called to love each other and love our neighbors. If conflict arises, you are never alone. And let me tell you something else I believe to be true, that if you are living a life on mission, and you're talking to people about the gospel, the saving work of Christ, and you're walking around and loving on people, it doesn't seem like it would be right, but you're going to find conflict, and you're going to enter into conflict. Because you're living a life on mission. And I mean, you see conflict after conflict come up in the New Testament. I was talking to uh, Justin before, 
the sermon, we were talking about the relationship between encouragement and conflict. And Paul, if you don't, again, if you don't know really who he is, who he was, he basically writes most of the New Testament. And they're in the form of letters to these early young churches. And he starts with a bunch of encouragement at the, at the beginning of these letters. And then he follows it with like, a, all right, now we need to get some stuff straight. Okay, we need to fix this, fix that. This isn't right. You know, so they, they do come together in many, many ways. Encouragement and conflict. So don't be surprised by conflict. Choose to be able to see that they are related. Um, I mean, Barnabas became friends with Paul out of conflict. From the conflict that Paul and Barnabas had, Paul finds Timothy. And uh, we see that, I believe it's right at the beginning, Acts 16. Timothy joins Paul and Silas, okay? And the Paul-Timothy relationship, man, that, that uh, bear, was it boar? Bear? Whatever. So much fruit came from that. And that would not have happened if there weren't the conflict before uh, with Paul and Barnabas. Encouragement is grace and it's intercession. It's mercy. It's service and helps. Encouragement is love and deepening friendships. Some outcomes of encouragement, you may not see them right away. You may have to wait a while and be patient. God is working, though. God is working. That is a fact. It may seem like an unlikely way that God's using it, but He is. His plans are bigger than ours. But we get to be a part of it. And as for conflict, let me paint a picture for you guys of some conflict happened a few short years before Paul and Barnabas met um, the area of Jerusalem was being governed by the Roman Empire there was rebellions and uprisings there were Jewish leaders who were power hungry and Nervous about Messiah actually coming to save the Jewish people. All kinds of crazy stuff. And again, I don't want to belittle any conflict that we go through today. I mean, we live in the times that we do, and we can't, we can't help that. Um, there's plenty of conflict if you open your eyes and look around. But this particular one had eternal implications, this conflict that I'm painting a picture for you now. And in the midst of all this conflict, a baby was born to a virgin, Mary, and it ends up that around that time too, there was this really corrupt king, and uh, he basically ordered a genocide of all the male babies that were born during that time. And by a miracle, this baby named Jesus is born. He's kept safe. His parents and him flee to Egypt for a while until things cool off. And he returns. And eventually he starts a ministry and proclaims that he's the Son of God. And among all this conflict, he's talking about peace. And he's talking about 
the way is through Him to God. All the while, people are expecting conflict. They're expecting some king to ride in and overtake the Roman Empire. But this Jesus guy, as Ernie Johnson said, he had a different message. And he ends up being found guilty by his own people, and the punishment is to be crucified. So he was. He was crucified and put to death. And he was buried, but he didn't stay in the grave. He rose from the grave. The tomb became empty. And then he came back. And he met with his disciples. And the Bible says that hundreds of people saw him walk among them after he had died and rose to heaven to be with the Father. Amidst all that conflict, in a way that we didn't expect, God provided the people then and you and me with the most encouraging message that you can ever hear in your entire life. And that's that on that cross, Jesus died for your sin. The sin that separates you from God. He died for all of it. You have to confess your sin, repent of it, and say, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. And the implications are great during this life, absolutely. But even better in eternity. The most encouraging thing you could ever hear in the midst of some crazy, crazy conflict. 